This podcast is brought to you by Langley and Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part one of a seven-part series on managing business risk. This series is hosted by attorneys Dane Patrick and Mark Macias. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Benack podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. This is Dane Patrick and Mark Macias. Mark and I are attorneys at Langley and Manac. We want to welcome you today to our Series 2 podcast, which deals with managing risks for businesses. Before we get started, let me tell you just a little bit about myself and Mark. I've been involved in commercial litigation for over 30 years and have handled a wide variety of cases during that time. I've handled cases involving construction disputes, I've handled business fraud cases, breach of fiduciary duty cases, simple breach of contract cases, misappropriation of trade secret cases. And often a single lawsuit can involve all of these types of claims. And one of the things we want to do today is share with you our knowledge from a litigation background on how to protect your business. Now the different types of businesses that I have represented over the years, they've been involved in the construction industry, the finance industry, the services industry, and the high-tech industry. And I often even get called in to defend trustees in various kinds of lawsuits. I've been actually at Langley & Manac for eight of my 30 years, and Langley & Manac is a full-service business law firm. We handle both business litigation and all types of business and corporate transactional matters. I'm also AB rated by Martindale Hubble, and I try to stay active in both the State Bar and American Bar Association and all the different types of uh, subject areas that pertain to my practice. And I'm also here today with my partner, Mark Macias, who has a wealth of experience in defending businesses. Mark, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Thanks, Dane. Yes, even though I'm a recent arrival to Langley and Benack, I've been licensed by the State Bar for 24 years, and for a large part of that time, I worked for a, a Fortune 50 insurance company defending clients in personal injury litigation. And so that involved everything from simple accidents to work-related accidents to large uh, commercial vehicular accidents that would include 18-wheelers. And so my role here at Langley & Benack is 
different in that I am typically involved long after the company has been formed and throughout the history of the company has engaged in its practice and at some point in that history becomes involved in some type of incident. Well, generally speaking, I am what is called an insurance defense attorney and I am hired either by the company directly or an insurance company on behalf of the company to defend them in that litigation. So for today, we're going to be talking initially about how we go about forming a company. And Dane, you're going to be bringing uh, to the table a variety of different options that a person has to choose from in deciding how to create their company. So let's get started, Dane. Um, one of the reasons why I think uh, you and I working together make such a great partnership here is because we see the business relationships that have been formed and over the course of that formation, the various risks that a company has in forming that corporation. And one of the things I was thinking about as we were preparing for this uh, podcast was the fact that approximately 90% of all businesses have 20 employees or less. And so that means that the overwhelming majority of companies that are out there are going to be looking to start a corporation or a business or some type of venture and not really know where to go. So when you're establishing a business, Dane, tell us what kinds of things a person might be looking for to do in order to best accomplish that goal. Well, the first thing that I usually advise my clients is if you're getting ready to start a business, you want to protect yourself from personal liability. Um, Mark, there's a number of different types of entities that a business can be operated under, or a number of different types of formations, in other words. Uh, for example, the most simple kind of business is a sole proprietorship. It's where a single individual typically goes over to the Bear County Courthouse and files an assumed name for their business and starts operating their business. They don't form a corporation. They don't form a limited liability company. If their name is John Smith, it may be John Smith uh, uh, DBA uh, ABC Laundry Service, for example, if they're in the laundry business. And obviously it's simple. And even sometimes there may be some tax advantages in the sense that you don't have to pay a franchise tax if you're a sole proprietor. But the pitfall of that kind of business is you're exposed to personal liability. So if you go out and you're entering business contracts, for example, uh, and you happen to get sued for breach of contract, you, the individual, will be sued and your personal assets will be exposed. Um, another type of very common business is the general partnership. So Mark, if you and I were to go out and start a law firm together tomorrow and we didn't want to form any kind of corporation we could simply say, hey, Mark, um, let's, let's form a, a law firm, let's, let's split the profits, share the expenses, and voila, we have a partnership. Uh, obviously, it's simple, right? The, once again, the downfall of that is that you and I will be exposed to personal liability on every single contract that we entered. Or if one of our employees were to go out and get into an accident, and injure someone, we would be exposed to personal liability for that accident. So while those two types of entities um, are simple, they're not necessarily the best way to go. And so when you talk about creating a simple uh, organizational structure such as a sole proprietorship or a general partnership, 
what kinds of things can a person do to more improve their ability to shield risk for the company that they've just started? So let's talk about the other kinds of entities out there. Uh, the other types of entities out there that will shield the owners from personal liability, um, the, probably the most commonly known one by most people is a corporation. Um, and then another kind that's actually more widely used in Texas right now is a limited liability company. And then you see certain types of real estate companies using what they call a uh, limited partnership. Uh, the two I'll probably focus on most today and talk about is the uh, limited liability company and corporation. But the one thing those three entities have in common is that they protect the owners, like for example the shareholders in a corporation, or the members in a limited liability company, or the limited partners in a limited partnership. They protect them all from personal liability. So if you form a corporation, and it's called ABC Corporation, and that corporation is entering into all kinds of business contracts, the officers and the shareholders are not going to be exposed to personal liability if someone breaches that contract. Same thing, if, if, if uh, an employee of that corporation goes out and they get into an accident, um, the corporation may be liable for injuries caused by that employee, but the individual owners and officers should not be in that example. So I think uh, if, if when I'm advising a client, that's the first thing I want to advise my client to do is find an entity that works for you um, that will shield you from personal liability. So having said all that, can you explain to our listeners what the distinctions involve between a corporation, a limited liability company or corporation, and a limited partnership so that they can perhaps make a better choice as to what uh, corporate structure they want to have for their company? So a corporation um, typically has shareholders, it typically has board of directors, and it typically has officers. And it is formed by filing a certificate of formation with the Secretary of State. Uh, and that Secretary of State will, will list who the initial board of directors are of the company. And then typically after that, it will have an organizational meeting and the directors will elect officers at that meeting. Uh, a limited liability company is similar to a corporation, but it's more flexible, as I'll explain in greater detail later. Um, and that's one reason why, especially smaller businesses now, are electing to use the limited liability company uh, choice of entity. Because frankly, you can adopt the benefits of a corporation or a partnership uh, and operating a limited liability company and still uh, maintain that protective shield, protecting the, the owners and officers from personal liability. So for those of our <clears throat> listeners out there who are listening to your explanation of what these two entities uh, involve, why would you advise them to go in a specific direction? In other words, there may be a person out there such as the John Smith you talked about who's looking to create his landscaping business and he might say to himself, well, that sounds like a situation for a very large organization. Why would that be something that I should consider doing when I'm forming my company? I think it goes back to the thing we talked about at the beginning, Mark. I mean, what we want to do is find a, an entity that will protect even the individual from personal liability so that he can go out and enter contracts, for example, in the name of the company 
without exposing himself to personal liability. If he hires a driver or something to deliver something for that landscaping business, he wants to be protected from personal liability if that driver gets into an accident. So once again, for him, either the limited liability company or the corporation is probably going to be the best choice. So how many people are required to create this thing that we're calling a corporation and or limited liability company? All you need is one person. And what does that one person need to do in order to establish one or the other? Well, like I talked about earlier on the corporation, on any of these, you're going to file something with the Texas Secretary of State. So same thing for the limited liability company. If you want to set that up, um, the owner has to file a form called a Certificate of Formation with the Secretary of State. Uh, there are similar forms that are filed for the limited partnership. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on the limited partnership today. Uh, they're not used as widely as they used to be, but there's a little bit more paperwork involved with a limited partnership. You have to have uh, not only a limited partnership agreement, but then separately you have to have a general partner. And a general partner can be personally liable, even though the limited partners who are the owners of the limited partnership aren't. So then a lot of times you have to form a corporation to be the uh, general partner of the limited partnership. So it tends to be more costly, uh, both from a formation standpoint and from a day-to-day -day management standpoint, which is one of the reasons why most small businesses don't use the limited partnership. So, Dane, a lot of folks uh, listening to us might want to utilize a self-help website, or they might think that they can Google the information that they need in order to help them form their company or corporation. Uh, tell us why that's not such a good idea, particularly here in Texas where there are very specific rules associated with each of these company formations. Well, what I have found is that a lot of times when people do go online and they do attempt to set up their corporation or limited liability company, they think they've dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. And frankly, they don't realize they have a problem until a problem arises. For example, maybe the corporation gets sued, maybe they get audited by the IRS, and then they go to their attorney and they look at, at the formation dockets and, and they just, uh, documents and they tell the client, look, <clears throat> I hate to tell you this, but you have a problem. You didn't properly set up this company. There may be questions as to whether or not this company as formed is even legitimate. Uh, you may have opened the doors to exposing the owners to personal liability because maybe it hasn't been managed properly over the years. So frankly, it's not all that expensive to bring an attorney in from day one to assist you in, in correctly forming the companies. Uh, and another problem with using the online documents is they're not state specific. So a lot of times you may be using forms that are good in New York, but frankly, they don't really work in Texas. So for a very small amount of money, and it, you can buy a tremendous amount of insurance by hiring a good corporate attorney to help you set up that entity. So Mark, before we go on any further, we're kind of talking about the initial formation stages right now of various entities with our focus being on how are we going to protect the owner and the managing body of that entity from personal liability. Um, I'm, there are probably other things that the business owner should be thinking about before forming that en entity. For example, and before we get down into all the various kinds of insurance, um, 
isn't insurance one of the things uh, the owner should be thinking about from the get-go and should they be thinking about calling their insurance agent before they even form their company absolutely uh, that should be the second step after contacting their lawyer and trying to get an idea for what kind of corporation or entity they want to form their very next step should be calling contacting their insurance agent because the insurance agent is going to be able to give them a variety of choices from which to select with regard to the type of insuring needs that that particular company might have. And so, for example, uh, the landscaping company that we talked about earlier uh, was an idea in this guy's garage. He decided that he wanted to go out and start this company and do landscaping for a number of individuals who had asked him to do it over the years. But he didn't think through all of the things that might be a peril for that particular company. And I should say entity, because in that circumstance, he was a sole proprietor. And even a sole proprietor or a general partner or a corporation or a limited liability company or even a limited partnership, all of these various entities can purchase insurance from an insurance agent that will help protect their specific goals and work that is associated with that particular entity. And Mark, are there certain insurance agents who have uh, more specific knowledge when it comes to insuring businesses than others? Oh, sure. And there are a variety of agents for a variety of insurance carriers. Um, some insurance carriers operate in what's called the personal lines realm of things. And a personal line insurance policy is nothing more than protecting the individual. So when you think about your automobile policy or your homeowner's policy, that is a type of personal lines insurance coverage that a person would look to try to protect their assets. And so when a person is out there operating their vehicle in the example of a sole proprietor, um, they may think that they're covered for their activities under their personal lines policy, but in reality, they would not be covered under their personal lines policies because there are specific exclusions that apply to those insurance policies. Namely, if there's any particular type of work that is part of the use of the vehicle in this case, then that is a specific act that is not covered under the policy. So when you go to your insurance agent, you want to go to somebody that will operate not just in what's called the personal lines realm of things, who may be good for covering your things like your automobile or your home, but you also want to have some communication with the person who's going to sell commercial insurance policies as well. And so commercial insurance policies are a large umbrella description for things that are used to cover businesses. And they can cover a variety of things depending upon the needs of the company, but they can cover things such as uh, injuries associated with the use of a vehicle. They can also cover personal and advertising injuries. And in many instances, a insurance policy that covers personal and advertising injuries can protect a company from things like slander or liable or allegations related to slander or liable and those insurance policies can be in place to help protect either the sole proprietor, the general partner, the corporation or the limited liability company. Okay, thanks Mark. <clears throat> well, let's, let's go back now and talk about where we left off. So. We were talking about the various kinds of entities and the formation steps and probably why it's better to hire corporate counsel when you get started uh, in forming your entity. So 
I think earlier I had mentioned to you that I'd like to talk a little bit about the limited liability company, or really I'd like to talk more about it than any of the other entities. And the reason I tell you that is from what I see now, most corporate lawyers, you know, when it comes to a small business, I'd say in Texas, maybe 90% of the time now, it seems to be that the limited liability company is the entity of choice. And, and that really is because of its flexibility. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I, know, uh, I know we're an, an audio podcast here, but I've got a corporate minute book here, Mark, and it's for a limited liability company. And I'm just going to kind of thumb through it and talk about what typically goes in to forming a limited liability company and then talk about why the limited liability company tends to be the entity of choice for most small businesses. So typically, if you come to me, Mark, and you're a business owner and you want to form a limited liability company, or we decide after talking, you know what, I think it's a good idea for you to form a limited liability company. And by the way, usually at this point in time, if you have a CPA, um, I would recommend that we call the CPA then and start talking to them about uh, tax advantages of the limited liability company. So the first thing that's going to happen is your lawyer is going to draft a very short little document called a Certificate of Formation. Uh, you can even use the forms with the Secretary of State and file this online. So sometimes I've had clients come to the office, uh, we'll draft it online and literally e-file it right there in the office. So it doesn't sound like it's a very complicated document. What all is included in a certificate of formation? Well, a certificate of formation um, is really a very, tends to be a very simple document. Um, typically, it's going to establish the name of the company. <clears throat> and I'm thumbing through to one right now as we speak. It's going to establish how that limited liability company is going to be managed. It can be managed either by members, which are like shareholders, or, like, or by managers, which are the, uh, like the board of directors for a corporation. The other thing it's going to have, it's just going to have the basic information for who the managing body is of the uh, entity. So that the Secretary of State will have the address information for who to contact when they're sending documents and important records for the entity to. Well, one of the things that we hear often in litigation, once the case has gone into litigation, is you hear people described as the quote-unquote owner. Why is it more appropriate to call them a member or a shareholder versus an owner and for them to dissuade themselves, dissuade themselves from that description? Well, the reason you want to call yourself a, a member or a shareholder versus an owner or a, even worse, a partner, is because that may lead the general public to believe that somehow you are the entity, in turn exposing you to personal liability even though you've got a vehicle or an entity set up that should shield you from personal liability. So it's just important to say, if you're a president of the corporation, I'm the president. If you're a shareholder of a corporation, I'm the shareholder. But you don't say, I'm the owner, or uh, these are all of, uh, all of the partners in the corporation. So Mark, going back to what I was talking about, um, in addition to that certificate of formation document, uh, 
basically that that document is what registers the company with the Secretary of State. It doesn't contain a lot of details other than what we spoke. And one other one other thing that that document will contain is a registered agent for service, which is the agent for the Secretary of State to send notice notices to. And it's also the person in, in the unlikely event or the unfortunate event that the corporation gets sued. That's who the lawsuit gets served on. So. Basically, you're putting the world on notice with that certificate of formation that that you are actually a limited liability company, and if you need to service with important service with important legal papers, this is where you send them. Uh, the other important document that won't show up with the state is going to be what they call the company agreement, and a company agreement for a limited liability company is like the bylaws for a corporation. And your company agreement is going to basically have set out in, in pretty, uh, usually in, in detail, how the company is to be legally managed. It talks about whether you have meetings. It talks about uh, whether you, what types of issues need to be voted on, for example, by the members. It talks about compensation of the managers who once again are like the board of directors. It has all the nitty-gritty details of how you operate that company. So for those listeners out there who are listening to you describe this particular document and wondering to themselves, why should I go through that extra step and have all of these details such as company minutes and voting in particular items in order to protect me from any personal liability, what would you say to that person? Well, first of all, the business organization's code specifically calls for having a company agreement. And typically, the way that company agreement gets adopted is you will have an organizational meeting immediately after you file the certificate of formation, and you'll have your company agreement ready to go. You'll have some minutes that you adopt that a company agreement in, and you'll also establish other things in those minutes, like setting up a bank account. To answer your question, the reason why this is all important to follow these formalities, because by doing so, you're showing the world that you are operating this entity like a limited liability company, which has helped strengthen that protective shield that you're building around the entity to protect the owners from personal liability. So we've had some circumstances, and we've both been involved in litigation where the person went to a self-help website, they formed their company, and they or they believed they formed their company, and then they uh, didn't do what you call for, uh, creating the company minutes, etc. Um, how does that expose them then to having potential liability? Well, it exposes them from a couple of standpoints. The most basic standpoint is if they haven't properly formed that entity. I've had the entities that literally were not formed or registered. For example, maybe they went to a bookkeeper to help them form and set up the company, and the bookkeeper forgot to register it with the certificate uh, with the Secretary of State. They, they literally had uh, paperwork that got signed, but never got registered. And in that situation, um, we would have to go back and spend lots of attorney time just cleaning it up to begin with. But secondly, if they happen to get sued in that period before we did get it cleaned up and before we did get it registered with the Secretary of State, the owners would be exposed to personal liability, which is a very kind of thing that we're trying to avoid. So what kinds of evidence do people need to 
keep track of in order to follow these rules that you're putting in place for a limited liability company? Well, um, probably one of the most important things is is following proper uh, corporate or limited liability company procedures. Um, although Texas is a very business-friendly state, and the mere failure to follow corporate formalities, that in and of itself is typically not enough to pierce the veil of the company and expose the owners to personal liability. It still comes up in almost every case and it still seems to be something that the courts are looking at or discussing as to whether or not there's uh, the owners have exposed themselves to personal liability. But probably more importantly, it's following day-to-day -day proper management procedures, uh, keeping your bank accounts, your business bank accounts separate from your personal accounts, and keeping your business expenses separate from your personal expenses. So everything you do should be operating the limited liability company or corporation like it is a limited liability company or a corporation and not your personal piggy bank. In a uh, later podcast, we're going to be talking about the specifics about what a, piercing the corporate veil involves, but since you use that legal term of art, why don't you explain to our listeners what that concept involves? So, Mark, piercing the corporate veil is basically means that if the entity gets sued, then the plaintiff who is suing the entity also usually adds allegations to their lawsuit that this entity should be disregarded. So that protective shield that the corporation or limited liability company uh, is supposed to have in place for the owners and officers can be pierced and the plaintiff can get right to the assets of the owners and officers for what should be the obligations of the company. And what kind of personal assets then potentially are at stake or at risk if a corporate entity's veil is pierced? It could be your bank account, your stocks and bonds, things that aren't exempt. Like for example in Texas your homestead would typically be exempt from your creditors. Hey Mark, before we uh, move on, one other thing I'd like to uh, talk about on the limited liability company uh, subject is you remember earlier we talked about um, there are certain advantages to a limited liability company over uh, say a corporation? I do. So one of the things probably the, the biggest advantage of the limited liability company is it allows more flexibility from a management and tax standpoint. For example uh, the limited liability company versus a corporation can be managed by the members. A corporation cannot be managed by the shareholders. Um, a limited liability company can also be managed by what they call managers, which can be like directors of a corporation, but it's up to the owners whether to do that. Even then, the limited liability company doesn't have to have officers unless they choose to have them. And then from a CPA standpoint, what I always call the CPA on and ask is, what is the best way to treat the limited liability company from a standpoint? If you're a corporation, you have two choices. From a tax standpoint, you can be either a C corporation or an S corporation. But for example, a limited liability company, if it's a single owned limited liability company, from a tax standpoint, can elect to be treated as a sole proprietor or 
as for in, or as a corporation or as an S corporation. If it's got multiple members, from a tax standpoint, the limited liability company could elect to be treated as a partnership, could be elect to be treated as a C corporation or as an S corporation. And depending on the business, there may be tax advantages uh, for each type of election. That is just simply something you can't do with a corporation. So, Mark, I think we've kind of talked about now um, all of the, uh, uh, or really we've, we've touched on all of the benefits of establishing either a corporation or a limited liability company to protect the owners and officers from personal liability. But, well, Mark, I think that's a good place to stop today. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. And I want to invite them to stay tuned for the next episode when you will be talking about different types of insurance coverages that businesses should make sure to purchase to protect their businesses. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com, or call us at 210-736-6600.